I don't want to ruin the mood. Okay. Sermon's called Crank Me Up. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Did you all meet my friends Z and Evelyn? Say hi. Yeah, they're from the Heritage Woods Bible Study. Rita drove them out here this morning. We're glad to have you. And uh, Jeanette Miller's mother and father are here all the way from Lebanon, right? They don't live there, but they visit quite frequently. Oh, today is your mom's birthday, yes. 39, right? <laughs> Should I not have said Lebanon? Is that secret? Keep it in the room, okay. They're spies for the... No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things are kind of loose today. All right, so uh, today the little sibs are going to McDonald's with the big sibs, right? No, that is not a punishment. That is a treat, okay? So talk to Ashley if you have any questions about that. Just a reminder, there is a Tuesday morning women's Bible study and a Monday evening uh, Bible study. So ladies, take a look in the bulletin for that. And then 412. Anybody know what that means? 1 Timothy 412. Don't let them look down upon you because of your age, right? Is that right? That's right. Okay. Uh, so 1 Timothy 412 is meeting at Graham's 318 at 530 on Wednesdays. So that's the, uh, the youth are going to get together over coffee starting this Wednesday, right? Men's retreat. Men, we're having a retreat. If you didn't sign up, we're coming to get you anyways, all right? So uh, talk to Tim at the back there if you have any questions. And then our text today, we are in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at the story of Mary and Martha, okay? The actual photo from the days. Luke 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. And you know you are upset when you are yelling at Jesus. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, if you've been to Valley Brook for any length of time. You know I love the story of Mary and Martha. 
I refer to it an awful lot. And I love it because it's such a real picture of real life. And it hits us where we live. It literally hits them where they live because it's in their house, right? It boils down to this. Martha is serving her heart out, serving Jesus, and her sister Mary is just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And Martha can't take it any longer. She's upset with Mary. She's upset with Jesus. She lets it be known that she thinks Mary should be in the kitchen with her, serving. And Jesus kindly addresses her. Martha, Martha. And he tells her, really, Martha, you're the one off base here. You're worried and upset about many things, but Mary has chosen the right thing, the one necessary thing. But one thing is necessary. Now, I think it's important to find out what that one necessary thing is. I've heard lots of sermons on Mary and Martha. I'm not sure, though, that they've really zeroed in on the one necessary thing. It's kind of like uh, the guy who's working in the office, and he, um, he puts a sign up, because this is a Stephen Covey quote, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And people go, oh, I love that. And then other signs start appearing in the offices. You know, the, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that becomes the, the company motto. And then one day somebody says, by the way, what is the main thing? I don't know. I thought you knew the main thing. Well, I thought you knew the main thing. Well, we don't know what it is, but it's our motto. What's the main thing? Now, let me, and by, by the way, I don't know what happened when I did the outline, but your outline says four things that aren't the main thing, and then I give you five things. And then I think I, the main point is four more things, and I only give you three things. So <laughs> change, it, change the numbers as we go, all right? The total, yeah, if you do an average, it's correct, Okay. <laughs> All right, so these are five things that I don't think is the main thing, all right? Um, first, first time, I've, I've heard lots of sermons on the main thing is to simplify your life. Martha had too many things going on. Mary had a simpler life. You need to, who's, who's the Japanese lady who has the book on decluttering your life? All right. Yeah, so you need to get that. Declutter your life, declutter your schedule, and that's the main thing. In fact, some have even interpreted, if you go back to verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. You have, uh, you have too many side dishes. You could have just prepared one main dish. You have too many sides, right? And uh, Mary has chosen the good portion. She... She was fine with just the roast 
duck or whatever, but you've got the potatoes. And the, the, pro- the problem with that is um, Mary isn't sitting there eating. She's doing something else. So it's not that there's too many sides. Okay. Now, while simplifying our lives may be an application of the main thing, it's not the main thing. Let me give you a second thing. Have a quiet time. Mary is sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus. If you remember the picture, here, we'll go back to the, the picture. Here's Mary sitting quietly, having a quiet time with Jesus. And she's frantic. She's rushing around. Okay. Now, um, I'm all for having a daily quiet time, opening your Bible, talking with the Lord. That's, that, that's a good thing. The only problem with this picture is the text starts with, as they were traveling, okay, as they went on their way, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And we know he's traveling at least with 12 other guys because they are there in Jerusalem, right? And earlier in chapter 10, he sends out the 72. There may have been 72. And then there were, were some women who traveled with, there could have been 100 people. So, and then Jesus starts to teach. I highly doubt that it was just Jesus alone with Mary and Martha. That would break the, the Mike Pence rule, right? Um, so, I, I don't know that it was a quiet time between Mary and Jesus, okay? By the way, it does say that she sat at his feet, but that's a technical term. Paul says in uh, Acts 22:3, he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That doesn't mean... <laughs> He learned from his rabbi Gamaliel sitting at his feet. It's just a term that means he's a disciple. So uh, the the idea is not this quaint Mary at the feet of Jesus. It's Mary is joining with the rest of the disciples. Okay. Now, having a quiet time may be an implication of the main point here, but I don't think it's the main point. So I don't think it's the main point is simplify your life. I don't think the main point is have a quiet time. Now, I've heard others say, yep, that's right, there was a room full of people and Jesus was preaching the word of God. The main thing is, make sure you show up for the preaching of the word of God. And boy, as a preacher, uh, that would be great to preach, wouldn't it? The number one thing in your life needs to be showing up to hear me preach. And if you're not doing that, you've missed the main thing in your life. Boy, that preaches, doesn't it? Um, I don't think showing up for preaching. Now, I do think we need the Word of God f- preached at us. You, you can receive it by yourself reading it and thinking about it, but God has ordained the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God coming to you from an outside source as a means of grace to grow. I think you need to be, you need to make preaching a priority in your life, but I don't think it's the main point here. Others have emphasized that Jesus is elevating 
the value of women. I've even pointed this out many times. The society of that time, and even Martha, uh, played by the rules that a woman's place is in the kitchen. And Jesus is saying, no, Mary is welcome here as a disciple, and Martha, you should join her. All right? So I think that is a lesson here, but I don't know that it's the main point of the passage. Then, of course, there's the, the personality analysis. Martha was a nervous Nelly. Mary was a, a mellow Marge. Try to be more mellow and less frantic. Work on franticness, and that's the lesson. Well, again, I think your personality may be getting in the way of seeking after the main thing, but I don't know that it is the main thing. So what's the main thing? I don't think the main thing is serving Jesus. I don't think the main thing is giving to Jesus. I think the main thing, the one necessary thing, is receiving from Jesus. The main thing is receiving from Jesus. Now, to receive from Jesus, you may need a quiet time, and you need to be preached at, and you may need to declutter your life. Okay? But Jesus is saying that receiving from him is the one necessary thing, and if you don't do that, all the rest is just done in your own power. Now, for some people, hearing that you're to receive from Jesus sounds like heresy. I mean, he's going to die on the cross for us. All the rest should be us serving him, shouldn't it? No. We need to constantly receive. Stop working. Stop serving Stop earning and just receive. Let me show you what I would consider to be a parallel passage. Uh, it's at the Last Supper. And Jesus bends down and starts washing the dirty feet of the apostles, which was reserved for the lowliest slave in the household. And he comes to Peter, and Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. This is outrageous. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. I am here to wash your feet. And look what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I think Peter was already saved. This isn't, this isn't about salvation. This is about receiving ministry from Jesus. Let me show you another passage that may blow your mind. Jesus tells one of these parables about his return. And be prepared for his return, because he could come when you don't know it. Now, now look at this. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast 
So, so we, are, we are the servants of the house. The master has gone off to a wedding feast, and we don't know when he's going to return. So be ready. Keep your lamps burning so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants. So we are servants, right, whom the master finds awake when he comes. What's he going to do when he comes in the door? Look at this. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he, the master, will come and serve them. That's a uh, connection to our uh, second hour question I'm going to ask. How do you think Jesus is going to serve us when he returns? And again, some of you are like, this is heresy. Well, it's right there in the text. Okay. So here's what I want to do in the few minutes that remain. Oh, plenty of time. Um, I want to talk about three things, not four, <laughs> three things to receive from Jesus. Or maybe put it this way, three things Jesus wants to give you if we'll just stop serving, stop being so busy, and receive them from him. Okay? Three things to receive from Jesus. See, the final edit is my PowerPoint. And uh, I send Debbie the, the outline earlier in the week, and then I go over it and go over it, and I get all the numbers right. So you, you didn't catch it. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Number one, I think he wants for you to receive forgiveness. So let's go back to, to Peter having his feet washed. Peter said to him, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, so, so here's Peter, right? No, no, you shouldn't wash my feet. Jesus says, well, you, I can't have anything to do with you then. So what does Peter do? Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Give me a bath. Just the thought of, of not having anything to do with Jesus sends Peter into a a tizzy. Goes, All right, give me the whole bath. So then Jesus says to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash. You don't need another bath, right? Except for his feet, but is completely clean. So I think Jesus, uh, by doing this, he is, uh, number one, setting an example that we are to serve. We are to uh, wash one another's feet. But this is also a picture of our relationship with him. When you believe in Christ, when you get saved, right? You only need to get saved once. Unless you're down south, you get saved every week. And you walk the aisle and you get resaved. Theologically, you are saved one time. But as you walk through the world, you know what? Your feet are going to get dirty. You don't need to get resaved. But you, you do need to come to Jesus for him to wash your feet, to forgive you, not for salvation, but for broken fellowship. Kind of like a marriage. Guys, every now and then, apologize to your wife and restore 
that broken relationship. It wouldn't hurt, right? And Jesus is saying, I want to forgive you. You know, um, there was a, a famous psychologist named Carl Menninger. And he said this. He once said that if he could convince the patients in a psychiatric hospital that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. So let me ask you this. Do you feel forgiven? Okay. Now, some of you say, yes, well, I understand the gospel that Jesus died for me and my sins are imputed to the cross and his righteousness is imputed to me. Of course, I, I am forgiven. No, not the question is not do you understand the mechanics of the gospel? Do you feel forgiven? There was a, uh, a famous author who died back in 1988 um, Marganita Lasky, anybody recognize that name? Uh, she wrote a ton of novels, and she was interviewed on TV quite often, and um, she was an atheist. And on her last TV interview, she said this, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. But you don't believe in God. Yeah, but I, I, I need to feel forgiven. And I wonder how many of us walk around knowing the gospel, maybe even sharing the gospel, but you're under this cloud of guilt and unforgiveness. You know, um, let me ask you this. When David wrote his psalm of repentance psalm 51 was he just saying remind me of the mechanics of imputation and animal sacrifice uh, so i understand that i am forgiven or was he asking to feel forgiven here's psalm 51 purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a, a willing spirit. I think Jesus wants to give you the gift of feeling forgiven. Will you receive it? Let me give you a second thing. I think he wants to give you peace. Well, yes, we understand that when we trust in Jesus, we prior to that were enemies with God, and now we have peace with God. No, no, this is not the peace that you have with God being, uh, uh, being restored in an uh, accounting manner. This is the peace of God. So here in Philippians, 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, not peace with God, but the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What that tells me is this is beyond just understanding imputation. This is a feeling of peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you received the peace of God? He says, ask. There's an old country preacher, Vance Havner, and they used to have this thing on Moody Radio, uh, Conference Echoes, where they would play old sermons from uh, classic sermons. And I always loved to hear Vance Havner. He was a southern boy. He'd say witty things like, too many church services start at 11 a.m. sharp and end at 12 dull. <laughs> he, his, my favorite one is, he says, you know, most churches need two, two nurseries, one for the babies and one for the 200-pounders. <laughs> so he was talking about the fact that um, for years he struggled with insomnia and anxiety. And then he said one night he was reading Psalm 121. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And he realized, he said, Lord, if you're already up tonight, there's no sense both of us being up. And he went to sleep and he never had a problem with insomnia again. He experienced the peace that surpasses understanding. Okay, Just a quick caution. You don't look for that feeling of peace to determine God's will. Okay, because some people say, well, I prayed about it and I, I just really feel at peace about this direction. Well, you could just be feeling peace because you're avoiding a hard decision. So I wouldn't rely on feeling peace to determine God's will. Once you choose to do God's will, no matter what, then you ask him, for peace, even in a difficult situation. So don't, don't use it to determine God's will, but after you choose God's will, ask for the peace that surpasses understanding. Last, last thing I think he wants to give you is endearment. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, here in Romans, the Apostle Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So this, this term, Abba, Father, little Jewish children, they would, that's what they would say, Daddy or Papa. Right? Now, here's what I find interesting. In Romans 8, Paul is not telling you five steps and then you might feel that God is your father. This is just part of his argument for what God has done for you 
And one of the things he has done for you is he has adopted you as his child. And the Holy Spirit, the, the normative experiences that we should feel that God's our daddy. We should feel that endearment. Do you experience that? Do, do you believe that he wants you to experience that? Do you receive that? Right? Now, two things can kill that. One is if you find yourself among Christians who are legalists. You ever been around a group of Christians who kind of have that smugness about them? And, and they're, you just know you're being judged. It could be certain doctrines that they have discovered that you have not yet attained to. <laughs> I know, you don't understand. Someday you'll get there. Or maybe a certain spiritual gift that the really spiritual people have, but you don't have it. Or it could be a certain ministry that they're involved in that you're not involved in, therefore it puts them at a higher level. could be ethical lifestyle uh, choices that they have made that you haven't made, and, um, well, when God opens your eyes, you'll see that this is the true way to live. Jesus talked about legalists. He said, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now, I'm not talking about if you're living an ungodly lifestyle and you find yourself amongst Christians who are just living a godly lifestyle and you feel convicted. That's on you. Okay? I'm talking about those who have attained that secret spirituality. You know what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. And if you're in that zone with people like that, it's bound to affect your view of God. I don't live up to this human evaluation. I certainly can't live up to God. So being around or in a legalistic group of Christians is going to kill that endearment between you and God. You know what Jesus said? Leave them. They're blind guides. What are you doing hanging around these people all the time? So one thing that can kill that endearment is just a legalistic environment. Second thing could be that you're worried and upset about many things. And Jesus would say, Martha, Martha, sit down. Stop serving. Stop working. Stop ministering even to me and receive my forgiveness. Receive my peace. Receive my endearment. So would you do me a favor? Close your eyes. Will you receive his forgiveness. In John 8, there's a woman caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees have 
stones in their hands, ready to stone her. And Jesus says, all right, let's start this. He who has no sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. They all drop their stones. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? He Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Will you receive his statement of no condemnation? What about peace? John 14, 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Receive the gift of his peace. What about endearment? The prodigal son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. Will you receive his endearment? Would you just quietly sit? We'll have the worship team come up.